welcome to the Ethical Conversations podcast. Today I'm chatting with Ruth McGlib about what makes an ethical brand and how we can spot them. Ruth is an ethical fashion writer and digital marketer who has been blogging since 2015 and writes for publications such as EcoAge and EcoWarrior Princess. Ruth has also been volunteering with Fashion Revolution since 2017 and has an amazing newsletter about ethical fashion that you can find on her site, ruthmcglip.com. You can also find her on Instagram at ruthmcglipblog. Sure. So I'm always quite honest about the fact that I'm actually quite a fast, like I was a fast fashion addict. Like I was truly the stereotype of being a shopaholic. Like it's sort of unusual to say because I feel like a lot of people in the sustainable fashion space maybe come across as like they've always been that way or something like that. But yeah, I'm, I was a real shopaholic. I actually wrote about this um, in an article for Cosmo about basically having a really toxic relationship with shopping and you know it was something that was like a sort of a fallback for me you know if, if I was sad if I was down whatever I would just click onto ASOS and add things to my basket and that sort of delivery would make me feel better and it took a really really long time to get over that it's not something that happened overnight like for me personally my own shopping kind of journey into sustainability took a really embarrassingly long time you know so it wasn't until I guess like 2013 um Rana Plaza happened which was the factory collapse where well over a thousand garment workers died and I mean every news channel was covering this disaster of people you know in the streets in Dhaka like screaming and holding up pictures of their family and I remember watching that on the BBC and like my heart broke but I also I felt this huge sense of guilt that I had something to do with this and at the same time I also had ambitions to work in the fashion industry so it wasn't just my own shopping habits but it was like the places that where I was working like fast fashion brands and high street shops um, they also had a part to play so I sort of had this like realization where I was like I need to change not just what I buy but I need to change what I'm doing I need to change the content that I'm creating I need I need to change everything but again it wasn't an overnight switch you know it took a really long time so yeah I guess it started with my own my own personal kind of journey and um, but it sort of leaked into everything it leaked into my career aspirations and you know I, I had a blog at the time and I at the time I was writing about fast fashion brands you know I was like oh look at this Topshop dress and you know, like if you scroll back in my blog, you could find it too. I've not got around to deleting it yet. Um, so yeah, it sort of leaked into that as well. But yeah, it took a really long time. And um, it sort of took me as well working with kind of small independent businesses too. I got a job in an art gallery. And through that, I worked with sort of independent fashion designers too, and jewelers and things like that. Um, and it kind of it made me realize how important kind of ethical artisan mm -hmm. products were. Um, and that's how I kind of got into what I do now. And basically, you know, it's been many years now. It's been like seven years since then. And there'd be no going back, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go back and I couldn't shop in a high, I couldn't do any of that now, but it definitely isn't a light bulb moment, you know, mm -hmm. despite the, despite the, uh, the Rana Plaza disaster, it definitely, it definitely took a while. Yeah, I think that was the same for a lot of people. 
and it was the same for me once it became a point where I couldn't turn back from it I couldn't ignore it anymore and I was speaking to someone yesterday about how it's the ignorance is bliss is really quite true in this instance because like when you're growing up everyone knows Primark has like dodgy work standards but you kind of just ignore it you just don't really think about it because you're like so disconnected from it do you experience that now as well with your friends or like your family um do you struggle do you feel a bit frustrated that they're just not seeing it and they're still shopping fast fashion i don't feel frustrated because i've been there you know i i I worked in an office um where i i think every day there was an asos delivery to someone in the office and people would always take the delivery and then be like sorry ruth (laughs) i'm like don't say sorry like it's not mine (laughs) you know i'm not here to make people feel guilty um because I've been there and, and the reality is as consumers, we are like victim to the whole marketing regime of fast fashion brands. That's not on us, that, that is on the brands. So as guilty as I felt, I look back and I'm like, I shouldn't have been so hard on myself really because there's, there's no reason why I wouldn't have been shopping at ASOS, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't know better, I didn't know otherwise. So. And I'm definitely, I'm not frustrated by people that shop fast fashion because I'm frustrated by the brands, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated by the corporation. I'm not frustrated by consumers. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. Like it's not really consumers fault. And things like like greenwashing and stuff, like how are we supposed to be able to figure out what is true and what isn't? Um, It's a tricky situation, but how can we combat that? Do we like email brands? What can we do to push the message to the brands themselves? I think what a lot of people don't realise is that as a consumer, you actually hold a lot of power and you have consumer rights. Um, you have the right to demand better from the brands that you part your, you know, your hard earned cash, you're mm. pouring into the investors pockets. It's, you know, you have the right to ask for more. And like you said, yeah, emailing brands, the, I am a volunteer with Fashion Revolution and I have been for many years. And I don't know if you know, you know, the main question mm-hmm. with Fashion Revolution is who made my clothes? And that's not just like a campaign. That's like, no, we want you to actually ask who made my clothes. And that can be on social media. Um, but also emailing brands, like what I do is I often email a brand because on social media, they can kind of ignore you. like. <laughs> I I used to do it on Instagram, on Twitter and everything, but they can kind of ignore you because it just gets lost in the feed. But if you email directly their supply chain manager or their operations manager or someone with that sort of job title, they will get back to you. I did it the other day with a sort of like pajama brand called Bedroom Athletics because obviously we've been working from home and wearing a lot of loungewear and I needed some new slippers my old slippers I got about three years ago for Christmas from this brand and I loved them, but they fell apart. So I was like, I really want to just replace them with the same ones. Mm-hmm. I emailed their supply chain manager and was like, Hey, um, I don't know anything about your sustainability. Like there's nothing on their website at all. He gets back to me and he's like brutally honest and saying, actually, we don't, we don't have these policies in place. We don't. Mm-hmm. And it, I was actually quite shocked about how yeah. honest he was. He's like, do you know what? It's not good enough. And it might have been because, you know, maybe he looked at my Instagram or whatever. Mm. But either way, like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have, Mm. you know, you have a voice as a consumer, you have the right to ask those questions. Mm. And if you don't like the answer, you don't have to buy from that brand. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So like that guy, he was pretty transparent about the fact that it was not 
they weren't doing anything yeah. really to be sustainable. How important do you think that transparency is in ethical and sustainable fashion? Transparency is the first step to sort of, well, actually I watched a um, webinar with Carrie Summers, who's the co-founder of Fashion Revolution um, yesterday. And she said a line that really stuck with me that if we can't see it, we can't fix it. You know, we can't measure it, we can't fix it. And that was in reference to microplastics, but it's, it's also, I guess, any part of the fashion industry, we don't have the statistics, we don't have the quantitative data, the scientific data, how do we expect a brand to improve upon their ethics? Yeah. However, transparency isn't everything. Transparency isn't, you know, you can be a really sustainable brand and not have a sustainability page on your website. But yeah, transparency is really important. A brand needs to be really open about their supply chain. Um, like I said, it's not the same as being ethical, but if you're completely unable to measure a brand's ethics against actual hard data, and they don't provide that information to consumers and it's not verified by a third party it's not um verified by certifications then there's no proof of that brand's ethics so it is a vital fact um there's lots of brands with no information on their websites at all like this brand i just mentioned and to me it's 2020 it's sort of insane that there's still brands that have that but i'd say the majority of sort of regular fast fashion brands don't have that information yeah and as Humans, like how are we expected to know better like I live in this little bubble of knowing about ethical fashion but I know that most people don't know how a supply chain works they don't know how the living wage system works or how waste works or materials you know it needs to be obvious it can't just be hidden in a corporate social responsibility policy like in the small print it needs to be right there you know labeled on the clothing where was this made in what conditions what's it made from you know, is it recyclable? Is it biodegradable? You know, we need all of that information and we need it to be really obvious and really, really simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how fashion needs to follow after food, like the food industry. If you think about going to a supermarket in any country in the world and you buy a package of food, a pre-packaged thing of food, it has the nutritional information on it. It tells you where it's made. Uh, it tells you um, if it's organic, if it uses chemicals, it tells you, you know, how many nutrients are in it and everything like that. And that's just a standard. That's a universal standard, which didn't always exist, but it does now. And I think fashion really needs to follow that suit. We need sort of universal standards. We need legislation from government mm -hmm. um, and universally too around the world, because obviously it's a global industry. Um, so yeah, transparency is completely vital, but it means nothing if the consumer can't consume that information. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we had the scandal recently with um, the Fashion Revolution Transparency Index and H&M saying they're the most transparent brand in the world. But the average H&M consumer doesn't even know what that means. Mm -hmm. They don't know what transparent means. Yeah. They will read that and think, right, tick, that's a sustainable brand because the average consumer does not have the language to um, understand sustainability in full. Yeah. We really need sort of top-down legislation. We need real consumer education. Um, and we also need innovation in technology. So I, there's uh, various uh, new innovations like um, blockchain in the fiber, like in the thread that tracks the garment and QR codes, you know, on labels that let you track the garment. So we basically need like a complete overhaul of the system um, and I really think that fashion has a lot to learn from other industries 
um, transparency is is basically the only way we're going to make change. So it is vital. And how do you think is the best way to go about getting those regulations? Like, how can we as consumers like lobby the government, I guess, in a way to bring in legislation? Sure, it's completely the same as being a consumer with rights that you have a, a right to demand better from brands. You also have a right to demand better from your government. And as we all know, our government has failed us on many occasions, but that doesn't mean that things don't change. Laws change. Average citizens make laws change. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is for writing to your MP, you know, pretending there's no lockdown, going to your MP's office, knocking on their door, going to party conferences, speaking to your policymakers. Mm -hmm. And it's easier than you think. To, you don't have to know about politics. If you know who your MP is, that's you've done. Mm -hmm. Fashion Revolution has templates on their website for how to write to your MP. Um, I regularly write to my MP. He knows me personally because <laughs> I'm such a nag about everything. Like, especially during the coronavirus crisis, I'm like, hey, what are you doing about self-employed people? What are you doing about this? You know, they are your representative. Yeah. So even if you can't get down to Trafalgar Square and protest, you can, if you have an internet connection, you can email your MP. So have a look at the Fashion Revolution website. There's templates on how to talk to your policymakers there. Um, and yeah, wherever you can get involved in policy, it's not as scary as you think. Um, the Environmental Audit Committee did a fixing fashion report, um, I want to say a year ago, but I can't even remember what year it was because time is a construct <laughs> right now, but um, it didn't end up going through. But the point was, is that they had an open uh, website page where you could go and submit your opinion and submit your evidence to. And most uh, new policies have um, open public debate about it. So if you can follow um, your policymakers on Twitter or, or wherever it is, and just stay updated with this stuff, because things don't change unless we ask for it, you know. Yeah. So earlier, you mentioned that transparency was the first step towards ethical and sustainable brands. What what else is a big part of a brand being ethical? What else should we look for? I guess being ethical is like such a overused word at the moment, but I think I often return to the actual definition of ethical or ethics is doing what's right and it, it's having like a moral compass, right? So it's not just about, oh, adding organic cotton or paying a living wage. It's It's a completely kind of umbrella term that means, you know, doing what is morally right and having basic human empathy, mm -hmm. you know? So I think we need to think more about ethical fashion as like a holistic issue mm -hmm. that it's not just one thing. It's not just an add on, but it's like integral to the entire business. So, you know, people and the planet, but also, you know, doing what's right for the consumers. Do you have a um, extensive size range? Do you have diverse models? Are you inclusive? You know, do you copycat from other brands? Do you culturally appropriate? Like all of these issues come into being ethical. It's not just, oh, sometimes we recycle things. So I think, um, yeah, a brand can't be, it can't be sustainable if it's not ethical like, at its core and it's not that sort of bottom line, you know, triple bottom line of, of caring, not just about your profits, but about everything. Um, you're sort of purpose driven, you know, you, you want to have a positive impact. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I guess things like capsule collections from brands, 
where they make some clothing out of uh, organic cotton it just makes me angry because that's that can never that's not ethical mm-hmm. it's just more clothing it's just more stuff and more shit that we do not need so a truly ethical brand like wouldn't do that because it's it's part of their dna to do the right thing um from the beginning too it's not just like we'll be a fast fashion brand and then one day we won't mm-hmm. it's like no from the beginning you need to be ethical um and it's not just about taking boxes too it's not just about tick we've got a fair trademark tick you know we've complied with this audit that um our factory had it's that's the bare minimum you need they need to do more they need to not just reduce their impact but they need to you know regenerate they need to give back as well mm-hmm. um, and it's not just obviously we see a lot of headlines at the moment and it's it's all this like pr buzz about sustainability but it doesn't mean anything there's no integrity to that um, it needs to be integrated into like every single aspect of the supply chain and again like i said it's about human empathy mm-hmm. it's just because somebody owns a business it it shouldn't mean that they lose that they lose their like sense of compassion that's that's what gets me and that's what makes me really really angry and makes me like feel very pessimistic about it is is that lack of compassion for human beings mm-hmm. you know fashion is people maybe think that it's more futuristic than it is and that we have robots and 3d printing but the reality is it's like fashion is handmade you know when you, you see a brand say this dress is handmade mm-hmm. like everything's handmade yeah. everything there's nothing that's not handmade unless it's maybe 3d printed whatever there's always a pair of hands behind mm-hmm. the garment you know it's labor intensive there's multiple pairs of hands throughout the supply chain and those hands belong to people that's what gets me it's like these businesses who put out their organic cotton collections they don't give a shit about the fact that there are people behind their clothes i mean yeah i could go on forever about this but i will ramble because it just makes me really angry so being ethical is is should never be an add on it should just be part of part of who they are yeah and i mean you know we do see like conscious collections or like eco edits from a lot of fast fashion brands and again like H&M they have an organic cotton collection and they recently said like we mentioned earlier that they are the most transparent brand in the world that is just greenwashing in its purest sense that's all it is but people who are not in this kind of ecosphere and that don't have the kind of vocabulary break it down understand what they're actually saying how can like those average consumers how can they spot greenwashing what should they look for there are like there's a huge list basically of mm-hmm. things that you can look for and you should look for them because until there's like i mentioned before universal regulation on labeling and um product descriptions and things we as consumers actually have to do the hard slog of researching mm-hmm. and if i ever have to buy something new it takes me about 5 days of researching because i can't you know i can't find that information very very obviously but yeah think about sort of people the planet and animals and you as a consumer so i guess on the sort of like people side think about the people that make your clothes are they being paid a living wage mm-hmm. and that's not just the garment workers it's the farmers who grew the fiber it's the retail workers in the store it's the people who package up the items in the warehouse it's everyone and is there a solid health and safety policy and this sounds really really boring but the reason that disasters <laughs> like on a plaza exist 
and Rana Plaza wasn't an isolated event. Obviously, it was the biggest, but every single month there is a garment factory disaster. And if you want to Google it, it's quite depressing because I think back in December, there was a big factory fire in India that killed like 10 or 12 people. Um, in January, there was another one. You know, these happened constantly and not just on the other side of the world, but in the UK too. So the brand needs to have a health and safety policy in place. They also need to openly speak about the right to collective action. So there's a big scandal at the moment about unions and um, union members in Bangladesh not being able to exercise their rights or being fired for speaking up. You know, this is, this is a huge, huge issue. It's a human rights issue. Um, if the brand has no policy on that, then I don't think that's good enough because as much as they can dodge responsibility and say, oh, that's that um, country in the global south that doesn't have a great human rights record. Like, no, it's not, that's not on them. It's on you as a brand. You have the power to open a factory or go to a factory as a supplier and be like, we are not going to work with you if you don't have these policies in place. We will regularly audit you for that. So those are things to look for. And then also on the environmental side, obviously it's kind of overwhelming as a consumer to be like, what even is a sustainable fabric? But if the company aren't speaking openly about where their fabrics are sourced, where the fibers are sourced, um, including not just the fabrics, but the trims, the threads, mm -hmm. the packaging, the chemicals and the dyes that they use, you know, the zips, like people don't even think about this is like, oh, you can have an organic cotton garment, but if it's actually sewn with polyester thread, then it's not biodegradable. So that's a huge issue is obviously materials, but also the amount of product that the brand puts out. Um, you know, we talked about H&M. That's a solid example of it actually doesn't matter how sustainable their, um, their clothing is because the quantity that they put out will never be sustainable. So an ethical fashion brand would never put out that many collections you know 52 collections a year you know they'll have a slow fashion mentality um, and they'll also have policies in place for waste management and again it sounds really boring and gross and whatever but if they don't have policies where where do they send their wastewater um, what do they do with the scrap fabric from when they cut the pattern because most clothing is not cut from a zero waste pattern there's always you know, dead stock fabric. What what are their policies on that? And how are they working to close that loop as well? How are they working to offset their carbon footprint or reduce their carbon footprint? How are they measuring their impact? And then again, I always go back to the consumer because I think we often think that we are like this tiny part in the supply chain, but we are the part, we are the biggest part. And if the brand is not catering to a wide range of people, if it's if it's not inclusive, it doesn't have a great size range. You know, most brands go up to like a size 12 or 14. Are they not catering to us? Um, you know, what's happening behind the scenes uh, with the designers? You know, is their boardroom all just old white men, which most of the time it is? How are those people making decisions that are diverse and inclusive? Mm -hmm. So these are all issues that you should look for. And if that information isn't available to you, then you have the right to ask the brand for more. Yeah. And what do you think about smaller, because most ethical fashion brands are actually ethical, are small independent brands. 
a lot of the time they don't have the best size range um, because maybe they don't have the money to put behind it or they don't have the demand for it. Like, what do you say about that? Um, how can you merge that with also wanting to support brands with a bigger size range? Maybe they don't exist for what you're looking for. Yeah, this is, I guess, like a really hard issue for me to talk about because I'm not personally like plus size yeah. and I don't want to talk about something that I don't really know about from a personal perspective and like this is a problem because writers you know journalists write about this and they don't have personal experience with it it's sort of coming from a place of privilege um so there's not much I can say on that other than from a brand perspective I totally understand that ethical brands don't have huge budgets for um grading patterns to be exercised but you truly can't call yourself an ethical brand if you are excluding a huge mm-hmm. swathe of the population. And the reason that the mainstream average consumer cannot engage with ethical fashion is because it's not for them. Mm-hmm. It's not made for them. It's made for a rich, slim, Western consumer. It's not made for the average person. And that is a problem because, I mean, now still ethical fashion is for privileged people it's expensive and it takes a lot of time to actually research it like you just said it takes you five days before you buy something not everyone has that in fact most people don't have that time to research that so how can we make it more accessible do you think it's just by speaking on it and making a bigger consumer base for it or do you think that just once more money goes into the industry it will become more inclusive and more affordable Well, yeah, the more people that buy ethical fashion, that it does get cheaper because of quantity. However, ethical fashion in general will usually be more expensive because of the pure fact that it is ethical. You know, people, you want your garment workers to get paid more than the garment is going to cost more, even though it's not as much as you think. I think there was some stat about if you added, you know, three or four pence to your average fast fashion garment, then it would guarantee a living wage for garment workers. So it's actually not as much as you think. But yeah, it it is more expensive. And again, I come from a place of privilege, but I'm also skint. Like I don't, I can't afford all the ethical fashion brands that I love, that I follow, that I promote to people. Like I can't afford them. And that is, I mean, it's not okay. It's not okay that these brands will I mean they're luxury they're designer brands you know I the reason that I can say oh my wardrobe is ethical is because I buy it all from charity shops you know and and Depop and things like that but in terms of like consumers connecting with ethical fashion there's still a really long way to go you know Mm -hmm. and we all live in this little ethical fashion bubble we had this actually um with fashion revolution you know we we host events and things um and I guess a few years ago we hosted Fashion Revolution Week events in art schools and, you know, venues like that. Mm-hmm. And then we realised we're just preaching to the choir, you know. So now it's, we make a real effort. Obviously, lockdown has changed this, but to host events in, you know, local libraries and community centres, you know, actually changing the environment in which people are able to connect because mm-hmm. most people your average person is intimidated by fashion in general. Fashion is this industry that's like, it's completely elusive and exclusive and um, for the elites, right? And, you know, ethical fashion is no different than that. 
and I think content creators, writers, journalists, um, media sites have a huge part to play in this too. Um, sort of changing the language. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, like people don't understand what transparent means, etc. Like the language isn't accessible. And it's the same with climate change, with environmentalism. People can't connect unless a brand or, or a journalist or whoever it is talks to them on a human level, mm-hmm. you know, and actually changing that language away from complex scientific terms to actually how does this affect you as a person? How mm-hmm. does this affect your life? And what can you do in a really concrete way, in a really simple, actionable way to change things? Yeah. So do you think that the most ethical way to buy clothes is to buy secondhand? I'm, I'm not going to say it's the most ethical because I, I don't know like the statistics, but it's definitely, for me, it's not about buying from an uh, expensive ethical brand. And unfortunately, there are just, in my opinion, too many ethical brands, too many small startup brands. That's never going to make an impact because the reality is it's just putting out more stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's not actually as much demand as people think for that secondhand is keeping things in the loop it's not putting any more resources out there and so I definitely think it's one of the best things that you can do is just switch to secondhand you know Mm -hmm. and it's more affordable like I said it's way more affordable and it's more fun it's more creative you know it's it's you don't look like everyone else at the party. You're not wearing the same Zara polka dot dress or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, secondhand is such, it's such a simple thing to do. Even just next time you want a dress for the wedding or a dress for your friend's party, like just take a look on Depop. You never know, like you never know what you might find as well. Yeah. So if you could change one thing about the fashion industry, what would it be? I was thinking about this because, like I said, there's a lot of ethical brands and there's a lot of people doing really great stuff, a lot of really amazing startups, small brands, but they will never have the impact that a large mainstream brand will have. Mm-hmm. I think the key, the thing that I would want to change in fashion is that people like collaborate, so like industry-wide, because the reality is this brand's doing a good thing, this brand's doing a bad thing, but I mean, we're never going to get anywhere unless brands collaborate, work together. Mm-hmm. And also, like I said, governments work together, multi-brand partnerships, um, also industry bodies, you know, like uh, the British Fashion Council or the CFDA, like mm-hmm. these huge influential industry bodies uh, need to like take concrete action because the reality is a single brand can't make a huge amount of difference. Mm-hmm. especially if it's just putting out more stuff yeah. so yeah the thing I would change is to get brands to work together um, get governments and businesses to work together as well because I just feel like we're treading water we're mm-hmm. not getting anywhere until there is that industry-wide consensus mm-hmm. yeah are you ready for some quick fire questions I'm ready <laughs> do you prefer organic cotton or tensile I'm going to say organic cotton. Oat milk or soy milk? Oat milk, although I'm definitely, I'm not a vegan, so I do just drink normal milk. (laughs) (laughs) Reusable water bottle or a coffee keep cup? Keep cup. Do you prefer travelling by train or bus? Train. Do you prefer vintage or upcycled? Vintage. 
does is some good answers. I think <laughs> no one said no one said soy milk yet, and I feel like if someone says soy milk, I'm gonna be really like put off because I just hate soy milk. And I feel like soy milk is suffering um, the PR backlash of the oat milk popularity. Yeah, I think the day that someone says soy milk, I'm gonna be like, oh no, <laughs> no one else has said it yet. So hopefully that continues and oat milk just reigns forever. Yeah. So yeah. So thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been really useful. Um, and I hope that people listening find it useful for how to spot an ethical brand um, as well, what they are putting on their website. And it's just as important what they're not putting on their website. Yeah, exactly. Silence speaks volumes. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ethical Conversations podcast. Make sure to check out Ruth's site, ruthmcglip.com her newsletter the ethical fashion roundup and on instagram at ruthmcglip blog while you're at it why not follow the podcast on instagram at ethical conversations podcast if you've got a spare two minutes do give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, share to your instagram stories and let me know your thoughts on the episode i've been your host at jessbrig underscore and i hope you'll tune in next week for some more ethical conversations bye for now